This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we're going to look for just a few minutes uh, back at the same passage that we were at last week. And so if you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible, we are going to project it, uh, as well as there's blue hardcover Bibles there nearby, and I invite you to follow along. We've been talking about discipleship and different aspects of discipleship, and uh, today I just want to look at one small portion as we move on. But first, I want to read together, and so as I read this, if you would just follow along in your Bibles or on the screen, listen again to this passage from Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Matthew wrote this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. Now, if you've been around church, if you haven't, then there's something about Jesus that's interesting. We understand that. And I hope that you catch a little bit more of him today. But if you are a believer, then you're familiar with this idea that Jesus sent out the disciples to reach the world with the message of what his death and resurrection meant. Have you ever wondered why Jesus gave this command? Why didn't he say, go and evangelize the world? Because isn't that really what we think of when we read something like this? Go and evangelize the world. Win converts. Why didn't he say that? It's not just a matter of picking different words. I don't think that's what he meant. I think he said what he meant. You see, what he was sending those disciples out with was more than just a concept of someday getting a ticket into heaven. That's included, and that's pretty significant when you think about the alternative. It's just not limited to that. It's not just a concept that we could grasp mentally and sort of assent to, and then everything's good. It's so much more, this mission, this message that he sent us. What he's talking about is inviting people to have the relationship that God always intended for man and woman to have, a relationship in which we walk with him and work alongside him every day. A relationship that isn't even diminished by suffering or uncertainty, pain or sorrow. A relationship that stays strong and steady despite what happens in our lives. That's what he always intended. That's what he's been offering to people. And so that's why Jesus gives the command that he does. Go and make disciples. Discipleship is an interesting idea. It's not just, in in fact, it's kind of like the idea of conversion and uh, sanctification and maturity and growth. It's like all those concepts all mashed and compressed into one single word. It's about our past being forgiven, our present being changed, and our future growing assured. It covers the gamut. Discipleship following Jesus is more than just this idea of conversion. Now, last week we talked about the fact that 
even though we might be mistaken, when we first look at this, we could get the idea that there's four commands here, and we said there's not really four commands, go, make, baptize, teach. There's actually one command, make disciples. And we said last week that those terms, baptizing and teaching, they're kind of instrumental. That's how it's going to get done. In fact, we talked specifically about baptism last week. Since we were welcoming new members and we were dedicating babies, because the idea of baptism is one of identification. I'm with him. How many of you guys are Cub fans? Yeah, all right. So one, really, it's better than that. It's not that bad. Because the rest aren't Indian fans. This is okay. But if you've got uh, just, I see a couple Eagles jerseys and you guys are talking, like, we all understand this concept of wanting to identify with our team. That's just exactly what Jesus was talking about when he talked about baptizing. It meant identifying with Jesus and his people. And that's challenging because sometimes his people act out and still he calls us to be identified with them. And we talked a little bit about teaching, helping people to not only be educated, but to actually adopt his his understanding and his lifestyle. Well, so today I just want to talk about one easy little part of this this, uh, command, and it's the go part. Can we talk about go for just a minute? Go into all the world, preach the gospel. In fact, it's interesting that when Dr. Luke recorded something similar to this, this command, in Acts 1.8, he actually gave a little geographical piece to this. You know, his idea here is simple. We said this last week. He's basically saying, as you go, make disciples. As you go. When you go to the store, pick up some eggs. As you go, he's assuming we're going to go. What does go mean, and to whom was go addressed? And the first thing I just want to point out is really simple. And that is that go is a group activity. In Acts 1.8, we read this. This is uh, Paul's, uh, Luke's version of this, and he adds this little geographical piece. Maybe you're familiar with this. But, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so it's easy to see this kind of concentric, expanding circles of the mission or the, the command that he's given them. So what were they told to do? Go from here out to there. Any questions about that? Seems pretty straightforward, right? So if it's, means, if it's straightforward to us, it was probably straightforward to the apostles. So when we read just a little bit further in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3 and 4, what do we find? Peter and John, they're marching around Jerusalem and they're preaching. They're in the temple and they see a man that is crippled and he, they, they heal him. And crowds surround, and they they share the gospel. They're preaching. They're preaching around Jerusalem. Okay, step one of the command. Good job. In Acts 5, there's this little account. Now, this is, you know, some months later. We read this in verse 17. And then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. This is because of Peter and John's preaching. They arrested the apostles, and they put them in the public jail. But during the night... An angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail, and he brought them out. And he said, 
now go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other... No. He says, go stand in the temple courts. Do you know where that was? Jerusalem. That's funny. I, I thought by now they would be going out. And they're still there. Huh. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Oh, okay, well, spending a little bit more time on the Jerusalem part, I guess, but okay, so eventually they're going to go out. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is probably anywhere from a year to two years later. And if you read the story, there's an account of the, the apostles, and, and, and they're, they're giving out food to widows. By the way, that distribution was daily. I just sometimes wonder how, how relaxed we become as Christians in, a, in the U.S. because somehow it's the government's job to take care of the needy. And when the church started, they fed people who had needs every day. And it just challenges me. But anyway, there, there was this, this disruption. There was, a, there was the potential for um, discrimination because the Hellenistic Jews started complaining to the traditional Jews that their widows weren't getting an even shake. They weren't getting the food they deserve. That it was going to, your mama's getting food, my, my mama's not. Can you imagine how that went down? That's ugly. And, and, and the whole issue came to the apostles, and they settled it out. And they said, hey, you guys pick from among you seven men. And that's where this idea of deacons rose up. And you guys take care of those things. The apostles said something. They said, because it's not fitting that we leave the word of God and prayer and go wait on tables. Well, excuse me? The, my point is this. Where are they? The apostles are still in Jerusalem. And as we go on and on throughout this story, we begin to find out that, for the most part, the apostles never did leave Jerusalem. Later, Paul and some of those guys were sent out. That's actually kind of confusing, because didn't Jesus tell them to go? And that's the point I want to make, is that perhaps what Jesus intended and what they understood is different from what we assume when we first read it. Oh, yes, he said to them, you're going to go from here all the way to the ends of the earth. But it doesn't mean that every single individual is going to go there. So now, some of you who have been around the church and whenever there's evangelistic messages, talking about getting up and going with the gospel and bringing it to people who need to know, and you get kind of nervous, and you start feeling kind of squirmy, because here it comes, because it's just, just some of your deepest fears that you're going to be sent to Africa. Yeah. I'm going to have to go work in Haiti, knee-deep, whatever. You know, just, uh, and you're, I've, got, I've got good news for you. I think when Jesus gave this command, he didn't give it to you personally. Yay. Uh, some of you are thinking, I cannot believe you're even saying that. And others are saying, I'm off the hook. Yes. <sighs> Careful, you're not off the hook really like it might seem. The point is this that the command was given to the group as a whole. They all had a part to play. It wasn't all the same part. We've already seen that the apostles stayed behind. In fact, when, when people were being arrested and tortured, the smartest thing to do would be to leave Jerusalem. They stayed as an example. They stayed in where it was worst. Not not in disobedience to the command. 
But as they stayed, others did go and were dispersed across these places. It was a team effort. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. But in verse 19, we read this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. The idea is that each, each of us plays a part in this thing that God is building. And some of the foundation stones have a job that's different from some of the other stones. We all have a different part to play. Not long ago, we were looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, and we learned about spiritual gifts and how that each person is gifted and equipped differently. Later in Ephesians 4, um, and it should be 4, not 2, in him the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. That's right. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. The command to go wasn't, isn't just on you. It's on us. We are responsible to make sure that we go. doesn't mean that every single person goes or that we all go at the same time. That would make a really awkward Sunday morning. We own this as our own. It's not your personal responsibility. It is our corporate responsibility. Here's the point. Discipleship is a team sport. It's the only way it gets done. No lone rangers. It's, it's like any, any sport that you might play. You can go out and swim. You can go out for a run. You can get your clubs and hit a few balls. But none of you can go out by yourself and play a game of soccer. You can kick a ball around, but you're not playing soccer. You can't play baseball by yourself. You cannot play football by yourself because the game itself requires teammates, other players playing other positions. So you can enjoy one of those sports, but you're enjoying your part to play while others play their part. It is a team sport, and we all have a part to play. So Christ himself gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if you're tempted to look at one person and judge them for how much progress they have or have not made, be careful. Because it can only really be measured as a team. Or if you're, if you're tempted to look at yourself and say, I'm really slacking. I am just so, I do not belong here. I am way underproducing, performing. It's something's wrong with me. Like, stop. I understand those feelings. We all have them. But remember, this is measured corporately, not individually. <laughs> How long has it been since somebody said this to you? It's not always about you. And yet, isn't it funny how we can make church about us? It isn't about me. It's about us. This is a corporate command. So God has placed in the church apostles, prophets, and teachers, and gifts of miracles, and gifts of healing, and helping, and guidance, different kinds of tongues. Does everybody have this gift? Does everybody have that? No, the answer is obviously no. 
So stop thinking that it's someone else's job or that it's only your job. The question is, what is your part in the go? Simply put, going is a group activity. Uh, it, isn't it a lot more fun to go as a group? Yeah. So you say, boy, I feel so much better now. I am actually glad I came to church today because sometimes I feel so guilty about not, I mean, like, like I, you know, I bought a whole bunch of Halloween tracks, and they're still there at my house. I didn't hand out one. What kind of a Christian am I? <laughs> you know. Oh, great. Now, it's not my job. Hang on before you get too comfortable, because there's one other thing we have to mention today before we go. Yes, going is a group activity, but here's the other thing you need to know. And that's this. Going starts closer to home than you know. It starts closer to home than you might think. Now, when Jesus was asked about loving your neighbor as yourself, loving the people, like going and loving, when he was asked about that, and then somebody said, well, specifically, though, a little loophole here, who exactly is my neighbor? And in response to that question, Jesus told this story. You know this story. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. I guess he had to go through Kensington. And they stripped him, <laughs> and they stripped him of clothes, and they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened by going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Hang on for a second. We, we don't want to overthink this. This is for the sake of a story, but have you ever seen somebody in need and you kind of look the other way and don't make eye contact? Sure. So let's not paint this guy as a horrible, terrible person. He's just terrible like we are. <laughs> No, sometimes you don't understand. I, I'm on schedule. I would love to stop, but I'm supposed to be to work. Or you don't understand. I've got kids in a car, and it's kind of weird, and I don't know if it's safe and whatever. I, 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 I would like to help, but you know, if I give you money, you could use it for drugs, and so I don't know what to do. We've all been in that case. So, but we can identify with the fact that you see somebody in need, and you go, ah, he passes by the other side. In this context, it's probably because he thought, I don't want to defile myself. I'm too pure. That's probably not what you and I think. Verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, what do you know about Samaritans as compared to these other two? Well, Samaritans were definitely looked down upon by these other two groups. This guy was kind of a commoner, kind of, kind of rough around the edges as far as they were concerned. But a Samaritan, the person that you would expect to be the least concerned as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on the man. And he went to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which is what was in the first aid kit back then. <laughs> You're thinking, what? Okay. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him there. And the next day, he took out two denarii and he said to the innkeeper, look after him. And when I return, if, I'll re reimburse you for whatever extra expenses you may have. 
So then Jesus, after telling the story, asks these, these people who ask him the question, now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And they replied, the expert in the law, oh, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus' answer was simple. I don't even have to read it to you, do I? The point is this. Going starts a lot closer to home than we might think. If you've grown up in the church, sometimes all this going talk was all associated with like global missions. You're going to go in a boat overseas. You're thinking, why would anyone go on a boat? That was the old days, yeah. <laughs> the truth is, going starts really close to home. In fact, it starts the moment we see a need that perhaps we can address. These are words that were written to a church just like us who were trying to learn what it meant to be disciples of Jesus in their culture. Titus wrote, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, except in this election, to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be of peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. Verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent, and they're profitable for everyone. Verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. It's been clear to believers since the earliest days that what it means to be a disciple is to go. Not go far away, but go to the very first person that you see that has a need and do what you can. If that Samaritan didn't have wine and oil on his person, he would have used something else. He used what he had. Galatians 6, we read this. Let us not become weary in doing good. <laughs> we all know how that can happen. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We talk about that a lot here. We can't fix every problem, but hopefully nobody has to go through something alone. Amen. Amen. Listen to Colossians 4 as we close. This, is, this was written to people just like us. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul is asking that you would pray for him that he would present the gospel clearly. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Whatever that conversation is you're going to have next today, or the first person you talk to when you get to work tomorrow, make the most of every opportunity. 
Let your conversation always be full of grace. Do you know why nobody tweets grace? <laughs> because it just doesn't trend. It's not as flashy. But if our conversation is always full of grace, seasoned with salt, what does that mean? We don't have time to get into it. What do you think it means? Looking for ways to salt people's oats, to make them want to come back for more, to catch their interest and their curiosity, and to maybe fan into flame a little bit of hope. What, what, what were you talking about? Let's talk again. So that you may know how to answer everyone. The world around us, our culture has issues with religious people. Okay, we know that. What's interesting is that there are a lot of people who don't have a problem with Jesus, per se. It's just his followers that get on his nerves. But I want to suggest this. Almost no one has a problem with doing good. No one has a problem with helping somebody who has a need. When we think about Jesus saying, go and make disciples of all nations, if we are tempted to think, wow, that's, I don't even know where to begin, I think the message for us is simple. First of all, we do it together. Isn't it nice to know, by the way, that you can invite a coworker or a family member, well, why don't you just come with me on some Sunday? Because you know how people are going to act. They're going to be nice. They're going to welcome them. They're going to get to know. They're gonna, and they're going to leave and go, oh, that was, yeah, see, that was, I got to tell you, that was, that was pretty nice, yeah. And as we worship, they get a sense that there's somebody, something out there. Boy, that'd be nice. Let me tell you about it. We do this as a team, and it starts with the very next need that you come in contact with. No one, including Jesus, expects us to be able to fix every single need we see. I'm going to suggest that the first need that exists is just to show that we care. We care enough to ask about the facts. We care enough to write it down so that, is it okay if I ask my, my church to pray? Can we pray for you? What could we do to help? What could I do to help right now? Is there something? And then we respond. Nobody wants to try to become an evangelist and go down to the university and argue with all those smart Alex. Well, I do. I kind of like that. But most of us are normal. We don't like that. Isn't it good to know that that's not actually what Jesus is inviting us to do? What he's inviting us to do when he says, go and make disciples, is actually doable for us. I don't know if your neighbor's got to borrow your leaf blower tomorrow, even though he never brought back your snowblower. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But if we would know that we take advantage of every opportunity, because we don't know where it'll lead next. Well, I don't need to apply this because the Spirit of God is applying it to your lives. The question is so simple. Knowing now that going isn't very far, are you ready to go? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, no one covered more distance than you when you came, left the Father, took on human form, lived as one of us, and then gave yourself as a ransom. And you are not asking us to give our lives for others. 
for sinners. You're asking us to simply love the person that we come in contact with next. That's where it starts. And then as the gifts that you've given to us begin to come into flower, then we see some who are teachers and some who are intercessors and some who are evangelists and debaters. There, there is a place for all those. But we start by simply loving the next person who has a need. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us to not become so overwhelmed or self-consumed so that we're able to see what that next need is. Perhaps even as we, as we sing in this next minute, we will decide, we will pledge, by God's grace, I will respond to the next person when I see an opportunity. And I'll look for a way to share some part of who you are by how I respond to them. Lord Jesus, make this so, so that we can go. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.